Well, let me extend my welcome to you as well, you who are here in person and you who are online as we close out this series called The Power of Weakness. Uh, whether this is your uh, first time in the series or maybe you've been here for all the sermons in the series, one of the things I've been wondering about is what was your first reaction when you stared at that? The power of weakness. That's one of those things that uh, religious people say. But is it really true? I mean, does it seem somewhere on the order of uh, the great pumpkin or uh, unicorns or going snipe hunting or something like that? I mean, is it, people talk about it, but is it, is it really true? The power of weakness? I mean, maybe you, you kind of smile and you nod and you go, well, you know, Pastor Larry believes that stuff. Uh, but, but really, the power of weakness? It's kind of like an experience I had um, uh, when I was uh, a young pup. I was just starting to preach. I was in my, my 20s, and I was at an assisted living center, and I was uh, preaching through Romans, and um, kind of during the, the middle of it, I, I had a little pause. I was trying to find my way, and, and I heard one senior adult lady whisper to another. She whispered, but it was like so loud that everybody could hear, and she said, what did he say? And the other one said, I don't know, but he's a sweet boy. (laughs) I have to tell you that I've almost had this fear uh, during the series that one of you is going to lean over to the other and say, did he say the power of weakness? And the other is going to say, oh, who knows what nonsense he comes up with, but he's a sweet old man, isn't he, you know? Well, if you felt that way during weeks one, two, three, or four, man, are you going to feel that way today? Because today, as you've heard, we're talking about the power of thorns. Now, I want you to know I'm not making this up, okay? Uh, I want you to be able to read it for yourselves. It may sound confusing at first, uh, but sometimes we just need to let Scripture wash over us and say, wow, that... I don't really know what's going on, but I'm listening and trying to figure out, and and maybe that's going to happen to you the first time that we read this passage together. But the Lord had something he wants to say to us today. So listen as we read 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think of me more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then 
I'm strong. God bless the reading of his word. In 10 verses, Paul manages to talk about some of the most incredible moments a Christian could ever hope to experience and some of the most difficult moments a Christian could ever dread to experience. And it's all mixed in there together. The the really high highs and the really low lows all mixed in together, kind of like life. You know, sometimes families will take some time and, and around the dinner table at night, they'll go around and they'll talk about their highs and lows from the day. Some people call them roses and thorns. And so each person will share a rose, a, a, a highlight, and a thorn, a low light. Well, in a sense, Paul in this passage is talking about his roses and thorns, although his roses are very rosy and his thorns are extremely painful. And so as we walk through this, I want us to try to answer this question. What is a distinctively Christian way to deal with life's roses and with life's thorns? What is a distinctively Christian way to deal with our blessings and to deal with our burdens? After all, you and I have both, right? We have roses and we have thorns. And so what can we learn from Paul about how to approach both? Well, in order to talk about this, I need to give you just a little bit of background uh, on something that we've, we've referenced in this series. And that is the, the tumult that was going on in the church at Corinth. Second Corinthians is written to people, a church in the city of Corinth. And Paul planted this church, uh, Paul visited this church, but typically when Paul would leave, uh, rival leaders would come in, they would sense a power vacuum, they would come in, and uh, these rival leaders uh, would, uh, would diminish Paul and they would boast about their roses, so to speak. In fact, in chapter 11, Paul calls them super apostles. I think that's a little tongue-in-cheek, right? That they think of themselves as out of a Marvel comic book. Their, their superpowers are so great. And so uh, one of the, the things that they would brag about is they would say, you know what, we're really good professionally, cha- uh, professionally changed speakers. Uh, we are uh, trained in the Greek rhetorical arts, but not Paul. Uh, Paul is a very poor speaker, they would say. Uh, His content is good, his delivery is bad, and uh, uh, it's not not a TED talk uh, when Paul preaches, and so uh, they would say that, or or they would say, you know what, Uh, uh, we charge a handsome fee for our leadership, but it's because you get what you pay for, and if Paul uh, doesn't charge you, it's, well, just just consider the inferior product that he's putting out there. Uh, who Who would pay for that? And so these Super apostles, these rival leaders, were boasting about all their their strengths, and by comparison, they were putting Paul down for his weaknesses. And so Paul is kind of, he's backed into a corner here uh, in in chapter 12. And so so the, the question then is, how does Paul respond? How does Paul deal personally with his blessings? How does Paul deal personally with his weaknesses? Well, I want us to see three things. The first thing that I want us to see is that when it comes to the blessings, when it comes to the roses, Paul was thankful. Paul was humbly thankful for life's roses. Paul does something in this letter I find fascinating. He says, in essence, okay, I guess I'm finding myself in a a boasting contest with my critics. And Paul, you can tell he's so conflicted. 
Because he doesn't want to boast. He wants to be honest about life's blessings and the blessings he's experienced, but he doesn't want to boast. Um, He he wants to try to model a better way of thinking about his advantages. And so Paul says in verse 1, he says, I I must go on boasting. That's that's the game my opponents want to play. Although there's nothing to be gained, he says, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Visions and and revelations. Now, if you're a Christian and you're trying to think about the roses of your life, if you have personally experienced visions and revelations like Paul has, I mean, that's a pretty rosy rose, isn't it? I don't know about you. I've, I've had whispers from the Spirit from time to time. Never had a vision, never had uh, a revelation. But, but Paul goes about it in an interesting way. Uh, he, he doesn't say, let me tell you what happened to me. He, he says, I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. Now, in verse 2, he describes a man who 14 years earlier was caught up to the third heaven. Paul says, I know a guy who visited the third heaven. Not sure if it was out of the body, in the body, not, not sure about how it happened, but he visited the third heaven. Now, when Jewish Christians in the first century, when they spoke about the third heaven, uh, it, it worked like this. The first heaven was the heaven of the earth's atmosphere, if you will, uh, clouds and birds. And then the second heaven was the, the heaven of the stars. And then the third heaven, or in verse four, it's called paradise, was where God lived, okay? Paul says, I know a guy who went to the third heaven. And while he was there, Paul said, he he heard mysterious, beautiful truths, so powerful, so mysterious, that he wasn't even allowed to say them out loud. They're inexpressible, he says in verse four. Now later, Paul tells us in verse seven that he received surpassingly great revelations. So what's Paul saying? Paul's basically saying, I'm that guy I was talking about. I'm that guy who visited the third heaven. I've been thinking this week, what if that guy was me? What if I had experienced what Paul had experienced? Would I be able to resist the temptation to leverage that experience? to exploit it. I don't know if you know this, but if you've been on a trip to heaven and then come back to earth, you can get a pretty sweet book deal from certain religious publishers. I'm visualizing it right now. The third heaven, the Larry Parsley story. Right? Man. But Paul is not bragging about these divine experiences. They actually happen to him. And I think what he's modeling for us and speaking about them in the third person, I know a guy, I think what he's trying to say is that he's humble and thankful for these experiences rather than being boastful. These amazing visions prompted grateful celebration and worship. Have you ever thought about that? How do you respond to the blessings of your life? How do you respond to your roses, so to speak, especially when it comes to the the good things in your relationship with God. I mean, let's be honest, when the Bible talks about these things, it often uses the word gift, doesn't it? The Bible talks about spiritual gifts. You know, a gift is something that is given to you. You You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. And so to brag about something that God gave you 
I mean, that is, that is wrong, and yet that's what Paul's rivals were doing. They were bragging about their native speaking ability. They were bragging about their talents. They were bragging about their experiences. Instead of being on their knees, thanking God for the gift. Paul, however, shows a thankful humility about his roses. And then he makes a, a powerful turn in verse 5. He says, I'll, I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, even though it's the same person, right? He says, if, if I'm going to really boast first person about myself, I'm going to talk about my weaknesses. This kind of brings us to the second turn. The first turn is about how we deal with life's roses. The, the next two are going to be how we deal with life's thorns. And the first thing we see from Paul is that he is prayerful about his weaknesses or his thorns. He's prayerful about them. Um, now, what does that mean, prayerful about life's thorns? Well, the answer is not simple. Wisdom often isn't simplistic, but it's true. And so Paul's going to begin to talk about his thorn. Verse 7, he says this. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, conceited about this visions and revelations that he'd experienced, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, he says, I was given a thorn in, in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Wow, there is a lot to unpack in that one verse, isn't there? I think what Paul is saying is that if all of his life were roses, right, then Paul is saying, he's, he's being honest and he's saying, I, I would have a hard time not being proud boastful and conceited if all my life was simply roses. And he's saying God saw fit to counterbalance in my life all these blessings that I'd experienced with what Paul calls a thorn in my flesh. The Greek word for thorn was used for a sharp stake that would be driven into the ground. Uh, it was used for a splinter. It was used for the pointy end of a, of a fish hook. Paul says, I was given a thorn. Now, Paul doesn't spell out what this thorn in my flesh is. Maybe it was so well known, he didn't need to spell it out. Some scholars think it was a form of temptation or kind of spiritual oppression or harassment. Some think that Paul was referring to the persecution that he regularly experienced from his opponents. But I side with those scholars who think that because Paul sets a thorn in my flesh, that it was some kind of physical ailment. You know, you can look at a few uh, clues like Galatians 4.15, which maybe Paul had a problem with his eyesight. A lot of scholars believe that. Some think maybe it was a speech impediment. Some think it was, it was epilepsy. We don't know, but, but I tend to side with those who think it was something physical, a thorn in his physical body. So how does Paul respond? Well, it depends on when you ask. And this point, point number two, is all about the first thing that Paul does. And that is Paul is prayerful. He's naturally prayerful about the thorn. He prays what all of us would pray, and that is, God, take it away. Please take this thorn away. I mean, what else would you do if you got a fish hook in your thumb? What, what's the, your first response? It's like, somebody, get this thing out and make it not hurt, okay? If your vision is bad, you're stumbling around, Lord, you know, give me eye surgery, give me glasses, do something. If you're sick, Lord, bring me healing. It's very natural, isn't it? I mean, it's not normal to rejoice initially in thorns, is it? Initially. And so, 
for right now, look at what Paul does in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. Now, I don't think we can necessarily say that you can only pray three times for a thorn to be taken away. I, uh, you know, in my life, I, I think I've prayed many more than three times for, for some experiences uh, to be removed. But, but, but I think it's very significant that, you know, uh, Paul's Savior, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed three times, Lord. Three times, if it were possible, in God's will to take this cup of judgment away. Like his Savior, Paul prayed three times. He pleaded. Um, and I think it's so important that when it comes to the thorns that you and I experience, the weaknesses, the struggles, that, that we make those a matter of prayer. I mean, Paul goes on to, he goes so far as to say this thorn was a messenger of Satan. And we know that there are a lot of things the Bible talks about that the evil one means it for evil, but that God comes around and uses it for good. But in and of itself, Paul says it's a messenger of Satan. It's meant to, to torment me. And Paul, his first prayer, he's prayerful about his thorn, and he asks the Lord to take it away. You know, my grandmother swore by a kind of medication uh, that was called Watkins Salve. Anybody ever heard of Watkins Salve? Uh, man, uh, J.R. Watkins, Remedies for the Body, Pain Relieving Salve. And, uh, and I, I remember when I was a boy once, I, I was staying with my grandparents for a couple of weeks, and, um, and I kicked a cactus. I cannot tell you why, uh, what, you know, that sometimes you just don't know what goes on in the mind of an elementary school boy, but I did, and I got a cactus needle in my big toe. And the first thing my grandmother did was, was she, she put some Watkins salve on it, and then she waited is that, is that it? We're just going to wait? She said, yeah, we're just going to wait. And then about an hour later, she got some tweezers and she, she pulled it out. She said, Watkins Sav will draw it out. Now, I don't think that's been tested by the uh, Federal Drug Administration or anything like that. But, uh, but, but in this, this uh, instance, it, it worked. You know, and there's sometimes in our lives when we deal with a, a thorn in our flesh and the Lord brings healing through through uh, medicine, through physicians, or through supernatural means that doctors can't explain. And we pray for that thorn to be removed. And when it is, we rejoice, don't we? But at the same time, we know that there are some thorns in life that Watkins Sav can't touch. There's some thorns in life that will not be drawn out. They are embedded they will be with us until we meet Jesus face to face. And this is one of the most difficult things we ever encounter in life. One commentator said there's nothing more painful than to hear God say no. Lord, please take this thorn away. No. Please. No. Oh, Lord, won't you please? No. Man, Paul could have argued so many good reasons with God. But, you know, Lord, if you'll, if you'll take this thorn away, I'll be able to serve you more faithfully. I'll be able to double my productivity. There's so many things I'll be able to do for you if you'll just remove this thorn. And the Lord says no. And in the midst of that, God begins to do something so powerful. Because, you see, we, we approach thorns from two different directions. Our first response is always, like Paul does, to say, Lord, take it away, take it away. But then there's, uh, when the Lord doesn't take it away, 
There's a third thing that Paul models for us. And that is Paul is watchful for Christ's power. He's watchful for Christ's power in the midst of the embedded thorn. I want us to look at verse 9. I happen to believe it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Uh, if you have a, uh, an analog Bible, not a digital Bible, and if you happen to have what's called a red letter edition Bible, that maybe you've already noticed that the, the words in verse 9, of the first part of verse 9, are actually in red. It's kind of unusual because, uh, you know, in the Gospels you see all kind of red letters as Jesus is talking, but it's, it's not that uh, common to see red letters outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see it a good bit in Revelation, but it's not very common. But here we see these red letters in verse 9 where Jesus himself is speaking. And, and verse 9 says, But he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's so much there. In the middle of Paul's uninterrupted pain, Paul experiences a promise from Jesus. Bad news, the thorn is going to remain. Good news, great news even, is that Jesus Christ is going to make his grace and power unusually present to Paul in the midst of this weakness in the midst of the, the thorn. In fact, this word rest was used of soldiers who are kind of camping out in a, in a tent. And it's, it's like Jesus himself uh, is on the mission with us. And, and, and yeah, maybe we're camping out and life is hard. But Christ's power, Christ's presence is camping out with us, resting with us. Christ puts up a tent beside us. Kind of like... Uh, this truth that we find in the psalm, Psalm 34, 18, says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Paul says, naturally, I wanted my thorn removed. That didn't happen. But in the midst of this weakness, I have felt Christ's presence. I felt the Lord be so close to me as I'm brokenhearted. I've felt his presence so powerfully. I think that God used this thorn to teach Paul a whole new insight about ministry, about leadership, about Christian living. I was reading a, an interview with a theologian named Timothy Gombas. He's written on this, and he brought out a biblical insight I found fascinating. He said, I want you to think of Paul before the Damascus Road, when Paul became a Christian, and after the Damascus Road. What was Paul like before the Damascus Road? I mean, he was... He was angry. <laughs> he was boastful. He, he, he depended upon his own strength. Uh, he depended upon his own power. He took it upon himself to persecute Christians, to arrest Christians, to try to shut down the Christian movement. His whole ministry was about kind of a human-centered power play, if you will. He was glorying in his human strength. And then what happens on the Damascus Road? He's a blinding light. And he hears Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say, Paul, I slay thee, right? He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, why are you persecuting me? The voice is the voice of the crucified Savior. And Timothy Gombas puts it this way. He says that, that, that this encounter with the crucified, resurrected, exalted Christ transformed Paul's ministry. 
so that his new life would be characterized by postures of weakness, humility, and partnership with others. Now, let me ask you a question. If you think of old Paul as before the Damascus Road, new Paul is after the Damascus Road. Has new Paul grown soft? Not on your life. Not on your life. No, Paul has discovered a strength from above. Paul has discovered that God does some of his most powerful work when we are humbled, when we're weak, when we're struggling, when we've got that fish hook that just won't come out. And I wonder, I wonder if this is an encouraging word for you today. Because maybe you're thinking about your thorn or or thorns. And you prayed that God would take them away. And God in his wisdom and mercy has not seen fit to do that. And I wonder if you could kind of move from point number two to point number three. You you prayed God would take it away. But but what about if it seems evident God is not doing that? What about saying, okay, God, if you're not going to take it away, could I experience your power in the midst of this weakness in an unusual way? Could I welcome you into this weakness? Maybe you could pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord, you know I don't want this thorn. I'm thankful that there will come a day in heaven when it will be gone. But at the same time, I know that you make yourself unusually present in the midst of thorns like this. And so, Lord, instead of spending all my energy praying for its removal, I want to welcome your presence instead. I want you to let this experience kill off my pride, kill off my desire to control my own life, kill off my self-sufficiency, and let me lean into your presence, your comfort, your power. I mean, Paul, Paul has been so changed by this experience. And look at what he says in verse 10. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The power of weakness. When I am weak, me physically, that's when I experience the power of Christ in me. What a power move. I mean, Paul is saying when he's weak, there's there's none of his pride and selfishness to block the view. It's all Jesus on display. You know, if I can be just a little self-reflective here, I mean, I think this is a lesson that Jesus has been lovingly trying to press into me for years. Um, I I don't know about uh, your line of work. I've only ever been a pastor except for uh, a grocery sacker uh, and a tennis racket stringer, Uh, but uh, so I don't know about what your line of work is like, but, but in my line of work, people often put a lot of work into pretending that we don't have weaknesses, that we don't have pains, that we have all the gifts. Maybe you have one or two. No, we've got them all, you know, uh, uh, which of course is, is not true. Sometimes in my line of work, uh, people have a hard time acknowledging pain or struggle or challenges. Um, we're tempted to fake it. We think that's what you want. (laughs) And we sometimes want to give you what we think you want rather than what is true. But something so powerful happens when we stop that, when we stop the pretense, when, when we're humble, when we acknowledge our weakness, when we stop trying to hide our deficits, and we just lean into Jesus in the midst of them. And we say, Lord, you be strong in the midst of my weakness. 
Lord, let my large personality fade. Let your love and grace emerge. Lord, let me stop trying to be the best actor all the time. Let me be the stage so that you can be the best actor, so that people can see you. I love the way a pastor named Craig Barnes once put it. He was speaking to pastors, but I truly think he speaks to all of us. He said that when he was in in seminary many years ago, he said his professors used to use a term, uh, and they applied it to pastoral ministry, and the term was gravitas, gravitas. His professors would say, we want you to grow into gravitas. And he said the way they spoke of gravitas, it was a quality of the soul that developed enough spiritual mass to be attractive to others, almost like gravity, the mass of, of, uh, you know, of a planet kind of has a gravitational pull. He says gravitas may make the soul appear old, but, but gravitas is not measured in years. He says gravitas has everything to do with wounds that have healed well, with failures that have been redeemed, with sins that have been forgiven, and he said with thorns that have settled deeply into the flesh. He says these severe experiences with life expand the soul so that the soul becomes larger than the body, so that the soul becomes large enough to contain a kind of holy joy, which is what makes the pastor's soul so attractive, Craig Barnes said. Friends, as we close out this series on the power of weakness, I want you to know how grateful I am for the gravitas that I have experienced from, from, from so many of you through the years. You who have borne your thorns with grace. You have a gravity about you. We are drawn to you. We are drawn to the presence of Christ in you. And it's a vision for us. We thank God that some wounds heal. But we also thank God that even those wounds that don't heal, we can find Christ's presence, Christ's joy, Christ's power. We can say, when we are weak, ah, that's when we're strong. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you. For my friends here who have modeled for me that unconventional truth about the Christian life, that it's in our weakness, that it's in our suffering, that so often you show up with such power. And so, Lord, we thank you for these friends who are like walking parables among us. And we pray, Lord, for that same kind of ability to be humbly thankful for all the blessings you've given us, so many, Lord. Prayerful, because we know that you do remove thorns, but also, Lord, watchful in the midst of the unremoved thorn, that even right now, in this moment, your power is being made available to so many who are struggling. We pray for that, Lord. We pray for greater faith. We pray for gravitas. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.